Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's story time with Buster. We are in chapter four of Rick Joyner's Epic Battles of the Last Days. Uh, we've been doing a little studying over witchcraft. Now it's a little deep. It's a little. It's uh, this isn't the same kind of reading we've been doing. But I hope you're gaining something from this. I believe it's uh, material that we do need to understand and we do need to learn. So chapter four. Uh, begins with the stinger. The attacks of witchcraft come in a series of stings. The successive stings are meant to hit every place where we have been weakened by the previous stings. In this way, they build upon each other until the composite result overwhelms the target. The stings of witchcraft usually come in the following order. Discouragement, confusion, depression, loss of vision, disorientation, withdrawal, despair, and defeat. This process can happen quickly, as it did with Elijah, but it usually works more slowly, which makes it even more difficult to discern. But if we know the enemy's schemes, we will not continue to be subject to them. When these symptoms begin to make inroads into our lives, we must resist the enemy until he flees. If we do not resist him, we will be the one fleeing, just like Elijah. The source of witchcraft against us may not be the obvious satanic cults or New Age operatives. It can come from well-meaning, though deceived, Christians who are in fact praying against us instead of for us. There is power in this because whatever is released on earth is released in heaven, and whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. If intercession is motivated by a spirit of control or manipulation, it is witchcraft, and its power is just as real as that of black magic. Other sources of charismatic witchcraft can be gossip, political maneuvering, jealousy, etc. And they can have an effect on us whether we allow ourselves to be manipulated by them or not. For example, if we refuse to be manipulated by someone with a control spirit, but do become resentful or bitter toward that person, then the enemy has still caused us to fall and the discouragement, disorientation, depression, etc. will come upon us just as surely as if we had submitted to the control spirit. We are defeated by the enemy when he can get us to respond in the spirit other than the Holy Spirit, whose fruit is love, joy, peace, etc. The enemy's strategy is to get us to depart from the fruit of the Holy Spirit and to try to combat him on his own terms. Satan cannot cast out Satan. Resentment will never cast out Jezebel. It will only increase her power. That is why the basic strategy we must use to begin freeing ourselves from the power of witchcraft is to bless those who curse us. This does not mean that we bless their works, but that we pray for them and not against them. If the enemy can get us to retaliate, he will then have us using the same spirit and he will have multiplied the very evil we are trying to cast out. We are not warring against flesh and blood. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. When we begin to pray blessing upon the people who are attacking us, then the evil power of control and manipulation is broken over them and us. We must not return evil for evil, but we must overcome evil with good. Discerning the Stings of Witchcraft Sting number one, discouragement. Everyone gets discouraged at times, and it can be for many different reasons, so this is not always the result of witchcraft being used against us. But if we become subject to increasing discouragement for no apparent reason, witchcraft should be considered as a possible source. When everything seems to go wrong, the difficulties seem unsurmountable, and you start to think it is just too hard to go on. 
even though matters are really not any worse than usual, you are probably coming under spiritual attack. The enemy's strategy for afflicting you with discouragement is to weaken you for the next level attack, which is sting two, confusion. Again, we must look for a general and increasing spirit of confusion, for which there is no apparent reason. Here we begin to lose our clarity as to just what we have been called to do, which of course will weaken our resolve. This confusion is meant to compound the discouragement, making us even weaker and more vulnerable to further attack, which will usually come in the form of Sting 3, depression. This is a deeper problem than simple discouragement. This is an unshakable dread that is the result of both the discouragement and confusion combined along with a general negligence in spiritual disciplines that has usually slipped in by this time. This will become an increasingly prevalent problem in the last days, and we must gain the victory over it. If we do not, it will quickly lead to the next thing. Sting 4. Loss of Vision This is the goal of the previous stings and works to increase their effect. Here we begin to doubt that God has called us to the task in the first place. The only way that we can sail through the storm of confusion is to hold our course. We cannot hold our course if we do not know where we are going. We will not try to hold our course if we begin to think it was wrong for us to go in the first place. This will lead to our drifting in circles at the time when we most need to make straight paths for our feet. This sets up for the next level of assault. Sting 5. Disorientation This was the combined result of depression, confusion, and loss of vision. At this level, we have not just forgotten the course we are supposed to be holding, we have even lost our ability to read the compass. The scriptures will no longer speak to us. We will not trust the Lord's voice, and even the most anointed teaching and preaching will seem irrelevant. This is the point of spiritual incapitation, the inability to function, which results in Sting 6. Withdrawal. This comes when we begin to withdraw or retreat from our purpose in the ministry, our fellowship with the rest of the church, and often from our families and others we are close to. Withdrawal will result in Sting's number 7, despair. Withdrawal from the battle leads quickly to hopelessness, and without hope we can easily be taken out by the enemy, either through temptation, sickness, or death. Even science has proven that when hope is removed, often the most healthy person will quickly deteriorate and die. With hope, men and women have lived long past the point of when a normal body would have quit. Despair will always lead to Sting 8, Defeat. Spiritual Amalekites By this strategy, we can see that the enemy's purpose is to weaken us so that we begin to fall further and farther behind. Then we can be picked off more easily. In Scripture, the Amalekites were typical of Satan and his hordes. It was the practice of the Amalekites to attack the weak and or less defenseless. As the camp of Israel crossed the wilderness, the Amalekites picked off the loners or stragglers who fell behind of the rest of the camp. This is what the enemy seeks to do with, through witchcraft. He seeks to weaken believers so they will begin to fall behind the rest of the camp and become easy prey. This is why Israel was told that there would be perpetual war with the Amalekites. When Israel's kings were commanded to fight them, they were also commanded to utterly destroy them and not to take any spoil. We have a perpetual war against Satan and we cannot take any prisoners. Neither can we use that which is his in the service of God. When King Saul disobeyed this command and kept alive Agag, king of the Amalekites, and kept some of the spoil in order to be sacrificed to the Lord, it represented a failure of the most foolish kind for one called to lead God's people. In those days, keeping a rival king alive after a battle was only done for two reasons. 
to make him an ally or a slave. Saul foolishly thought that he could make the one of them who personified Satan himself into either an ally or a slave. It was no accident that it was an Amalekite who killed Saul and that carried the news of Saul's death to David. This Amalekite thought that the news would be pleasing to David, and David was discerning and had him killed. See 2 Samuel 1, 1 1-16. If we do not obey the Lord and utterly destroy the enemy we battle, he will end up finishing us off. There can be no alliance with the enemy. He and his hordes must be utterly destroyed. Neither let us be foolish enough to think that we can use the enemy as our slave. In his guile, he will quickly turn the tables. Witchcraft is being used against the church. Many who have failed to recognize it have been defeated, lost their vision, their ministry, their families, and even their lives. This is not sensationalism. It is fact. Paul said that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. See Ephesians 6.12. Wrestling is the closest form of combat. The enemy is going to fight. He is going to wrestle with us. If we decide that we are just are not going to fight, we will get pinned. A Christian has no option as to whether or not he is going to do spiritual warfare if he wants to survive. But how do we combat this witchcraft? We must first look at the basic principle of spiritual warfare required for every victory, the road to victory. In Revelation 12:11, we see that the saints overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by loving not their lives even unto death. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb as we take our stand on what He has already accomplished for us by the cross. The victory has already been won, and there is no way we can lose as long as we abide in Him. The word of our testimony is the Scriptures. Every time the enemy challenged Jesus, he simply responded with Scripture, countering the enemy's temptation with God's truth. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6:17. With the sword, we can deflect the blows from His deceptive words, as well as attack Him. Of all the pieces of armor we are commanded to put on, Ephesians 6, 10-18, the sword is the only offensive weapon. That they love not their lives unto death is the utter commitment to follow him regardless of the price. We are called to take up our cross daily, to do all things for the sake of the gospel, to no longer live for ourselves but for him. To the degree that we remain in self-centeredness, we will be vulnerable to the enemy's attack. When we have reckoned ourselves dead to this world as crucified with Christ, The enemy no longer has any access to us because he has no more access to him. If we are dead to this world, what can be done to a dead man? It is impossible for the dead to be offended or to be tempted, to fear or to be depressed, or to be continually looking for an easy way out since they've already been paid the ultimate price. All of these are required for every spiritual victory. Anything less will result in less than a victory. We may make an occasional halting advances, but we will sooner or later be pushed back. But it is clear that at the end of the age there will be an army of believers raised up who will not settle for occasional advances. They have committed themselves to the fight and will not stop until there is the complete victory over the enemy that is promised. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, Psalms 24.1. Until the earth has been completely recovered from the domain of Satan, our fight is not over. No one will fight to win if they do not believe that the victory is possible. Many teachings have been promulgated of the body of Christ that declare the church's defeat at the end. The whole prophetic testimony of Scripture is that the Lord, the church, and the truth are going to prevail. Satan is being cast down to the earth. He will come with great wrath, and there is going to be a time of trouble like the world has never known before. But we will win. Isaiah 14, 16-17 says that when we see Satan, we are going to marvel at the pitiful nature 
of the one who caused so much trouble. He who lives within the very least of the saints is much greater than the power of all Antichrists combined. These times are not to be feared. This will be our finest hour. As Isaiah 60, 1-2 declares, When darkness is covering the earth, the glory of the Lord will be appearing on his people. The darkness will just make his glory upon us appear that much brighter. We must start fighting in order to win, giving no more ground to the enemy and taking back what he has usurped. To effectively combat witchcraft, we must determine that we are going to resist Satan until he flees from us. Our goal is more than just driving the enemy out of our own lives. We then must pursue him until he has been driven out of everyone else in whom he has established a stronghold. The following are some of the ways that we can combat the five specific areas of Satan's attack through witchcraft. Resisting the stings of witchcraft. That first sting was discouragement. Discouragement never comes from God. He is the author of faith and hope, which never disappoints. He does discipline us when we need it, but he never does this by afflicting us with discouragement. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That's James 3.17. Discouragement is nowhere named as the wisdom that comes from above, and it is not a fruit of the Spirit. We must learn to quickly and instinctively reject discouragement and give it no place in our thoughts. We must resist it. We will be led by what we think or feel. We must take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. We must never allow discouragement to dictate our course. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit and the shield of our armor that counters discouragement. If we begin to get discouraged, it is because we have dropped our shield. Pick it back up. Second, confusion. Remember that God is not the author of confusion, and what you are being hit with is not coming from Him. In the military, one of the primary elements of battle that a soldier is trained to handle is confusion. There will rarely be a battle where there is not confusion. Nothing will ever go exactly as planned, and the same is true in spiritual warfare. The disciplined soldier who understands this aspect of warfare learns to use the confusion to his own advantage. He does not let it increase his discouragement, but begins to anticipate it, looking for an opportunity to gain an advantage over the enemy. We must learn to expect confusion as part of the battle and not to be surprised or affected by it. Our resolve to stand and fight will quickly dispel this aspect of the attack. 3. Depression God gave to Cain the most effective remedy for depression. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? The ancient expression for depression. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Genesis chapter six, uh, 4, verse 6-7 through seven. Because depression is usually the result of allowing discouragement and confusion to cause us to drift from our basic spiritual disciplines, such as reading the Word, praying, fellowshipping, etc., picking them up again with resolve will almost always start to reverse the downward spiral. Fourthly, loss of vision. This attack can also be turned to our advantage and used as an opportunity. When you begin to lose your vision, commit yourself to strengthening your vision. Sink your roots deeper and establish your purpose even more firmly upon the Word of God. When God begins to lead us into a purpose, we should record how He speaks to us. Review all the ways that He has led you and search the Scriptures to even more firmly establish His leading. Above all, hold your course. Do not change your course until you can clearly see the new course. In World War I, one of the most effective tactics of the enemy was to lay a smoke screen in front of the Allied convoys. As the convoy entered the smoke and lost their vision, 
they would start turning at any perceived sound or whim, with the resulting collision sinking more ships than torpedoes. The Allies finally developed a simple strategy to thwart this tactic. When the smoke, when in the smoke, every ship was to hold its previous course without deviation. They would soon all sail out of the other side into clear air. The same strategy will enable us to more quickly escape what is clouding our vision. When you lose your vision, just hold your course. Keep going forward. You will soon break out into the clear. Fifthly, disorientation. As an instrument flight instructor, the first thing I had to teach a student pilot was that when flying on instruments with restricted visibility, his feelings could not be trusted and must be disregarded. If a pilot tries to fly by his feelings when an instrument conditions, he will quickly lose control of the plane. When in the clouds, while flying perfectly straight and level, you begin to feel like you're turning. If you react to this feeling, you will begin to turn, veering off course or maybe even turning the plane upside down. In a test conducted by the FAA, a group of pilots without previous instrument training were flown into an instrumental conditions. Every one of them lost control of their planes because they tried to rely on their feelings for guidance. The same is true for Christians who enter spiritual conditions of reduced visibility or spiritual clouds. They usually try to rely on their feelings for guidance and therefore lose control. The instruments we have been given to walk by are found in the Bible. We do not walk by feelings, but by faith and in the sure testimony of the Word of God. The Word of God will keep us oriented and on course if we put our trust in it, even when our feelings may be telling us to do otherwise. Sixth, withdrawal. In the recent Persian Gulf War, the majority of casualties were either reserves or civilians. The safest place to be in the war is on the front line. This has been true in most modern wars, and it is true in spiritual warfare. When you're being pressed in a battle, you cannot call a timeout. On the front line, you cannot ask the enemy to stop the battle because you have a headache or want to take a break. On the front line, you know the dangers and you do not let your guard down. Every Christian is on the front line every day whether he likes it or not. Satan will not stop when we call a timeout. It is when we start to consider ourselves a civilian or not a soldier that we will be the most vulnerable to his attack. Neither is a Christian ever in the reserves. Seldom do battles rage along the entire front for the entire time. There are times of reprieve from conflict, but when you know that you are in, on the front, even your breaks are taken with vigilance, knowing that a fresh attack can come at any time. Christians must never remove their spiritual armor and must never lose their vigilance. There are times and occasions in warfare for strategic retreats. There are times when we overcommit ourselves spiritually and we must draw back, but that is not the same as withdrawal from the battle. Even when we have overcommitted ourselves, retreat should be the last resort. An army in retreat is in its most vulnerable condition. If at all possible, we should try to at least hold our ground until our position can be strengthened. Paul wrote, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. For in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Romans eight thirty seven, Who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians two fourteen. Defeat is not an option. In Christ, we will gain the victory in that which He has led us to. The, the only way that we can be defeated is to quit. Even when we discover that we have acted presumptuously without being commissioned by God, we do not quit, we repent. There is a difference between quitting and stopping because of repentance. The first is a defeat, the latter is an adjustment that will always result in further victories. Repentance comes because of the truth and sets us free. Defeat will result in a spiritual bondage in the power of the enemy.
Lastly, despair. The first thing the Lord said was that it was not good for a man to be alone. We are social creatures, and when we withdraw from fellowship, we usually sink into the deepest pit of hopelessness and despair. At this point in the downward spiral, we must return to fellowship and get help in reversing the slide or we will be defeated. As simple as this may seem, it is it is the remedy. Even though fellow believers can be the source of the enemy's attack on us, we must never run away from the church. We must run rather run to it and work out our problems until they are resolved. Wow, what a chapter. What a powerful chapter. Thinking about those things being discouragement, confusion, depression, loss of vision, disorientation, withdrawal, despair, and defeat as stingers that the enemy can use to attack us, to harm us, to, to hurt us. I pray that you're gaining something out of this. I pray this speaks into you today in volumes that you may understand it completely and clearly. Uh, go back and read it again. Get in your word. Use the word against this as a, as a standard to follow. Epic battles of the last days. I know that we are in them. I know that we are seeing these attacks. I know that there's so many things that we could draw from this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your armor intact. Keep your armor on. Keep your sword sharp. And stay in fellowship with your fellow believers because they are the ones that will help cover your backside. Remember, there is no armor for your backside. We need each other and we need to always face our enemy. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again real soon.